0: Morning, church. This morning we are going to be reading in Luke chapter twenty-three, starting in verse twenty-four. Excuse me, starting in verse uh, thirteen, all the way to the end. We're going to be reading about the reading about the road to Emmaus. Um, a couple of days before today, I was kind of thinking about the significance of the resurrection in this day, and looking at my own life, and uh, just thanking God that I had hope in my life early on for every difficult day that came up, I knew that, or I hope was was for the next day to be better, or the next week, so hope is kind of what drives us from, from our early life to older. Um, these days, I might be in my last decade or two, so actually, Actually, the hope of life after death and the resurrection that Christ did for us, uh, I hang my hat on and and gives me great hope. If you permit me to read a few words um, penned by the late Billy Graham, and it's on the hope of resurrection. In 2 Corinthians 4.14, it says, He which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus. The resurrection of Christ brings hope. The late Emil Brunner once said, "What oxygen is for the lungs, so is hope for the meaning of human life." As the human organism is dependent on the supply of oxygen, so humanity is dependent on the supply of hope. Yet today, hopelessness and despair are everywhere. Peter, who himself was given to despair during the episode on Calvary, writes in a triumphant note: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according." To his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is hope that mistakes and sins will be forgiven. There is hope that we can have joy, peace, assurance, and security in the midst of despair in this age. There is hope that Christ is coming soon, and this is what is called in Scripture: the Blessed Hope. There is hope that there will come a day when a new heaven and a new earth and that kingdom of God will reign and triumph. Our hope is not in our ability or in our goodness or in our physical strength. Our hope is instilled in us by the resurrection of Christ. Amen. Okay, verse 13. I'm reading out of the... New King James, and I believe this is out of ESV. So now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together all these things that had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus Christ himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this? that you have with one another, another as you walk and are sad. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known these things which has happened here in, in, the, in these days? And he said to them, What things? And so they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said, "'He is alive.'" And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not find. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road. And now he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified, frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when they had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe, for joy and marvel, he said to them, have you any food here? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. For all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, Thus it is necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with the holy, with the power from on high. Would you pray with me, church? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege, God, of coming before you and worshiping, worshiping you on this day. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice and for the blessed hope of your resurrection. Thank you, God, that you give us something to hope for throughout our days and years here and give us something to hope for and be with you our great god and savior jesus christ in eternity we just pray lord that you would empower jackie this morning that you would fill him with your holy spirit that his word would go for that your word would go forth and have a mighty powerful impact on people's lives today on this blessed day the resurrection day that we celebrate in jesus name amen
1: Hey, the little ones are free. God bless you guys. All your teachers are waiting in the back for you. They can't wait. So as we look at our world events, anybody feel like things are confusing and disappointing? Maybe disappointing and confusing. Probably a couple other adjectives you could throw in there. When we come to a study of Resurrection Day, that's kind of what marked Resurrection Day as well. Resurrection Day was a day of confusion and disappointment. The disciples looking upon the one in whom they had believed and trusted that he was the one that was going to bring this incredible kingdom of God and usher it into their midst, were disappointed because three days earlier, every hope and dream they had died on a Roman cross and was laid in the ground. They were confused and disappointed. Early Sunday morning, some women came back to where the disciples were gathered, and they said they had gone to the tomb, and it was empty. So Peter and John raced down there and found it so. In the midst of all that confusion, while all these things are going on, and keep in mind now, while this, while while well, we're going we're to talk about the road to Emmaus today, but while the road to Emmaus is going on, Jesus is appearing. He's appearing to uh, Mary Magdalene. She's going to see him. Peter's going to see him. But these two disciples, one of whom is unnamed, the other one, Cleopas, they're going to head down to Emmaus. They've had enough of hanging out with everybody, and they're going to walk just a short distance away. It says in verse 13, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. It's like walking from here to Filer. And they were talking with each other about these things and what had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew near and went with them. The resurrected Christ no longer has the limitations that Christ had before the resurrection. Before the resurrection, Jesus came in the flesh to show us... um, the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world, but the resurrected Christ is glorified, right? He's going to appear in the middle of a room when nobody opened a door. That's not normal, is it? You and I can't do that as much maybe as we would like to. He's going to be, in my opinion, he's going to be appearing to various people at the same time because God's not limited by our limitations, is he? So we're going to see this. This is part of the way, I won't take the time to do it today, but it's part of the way that we've developed the the timeline for what happened on Resurrection Day. Well, as these guys are gathering, the Scripture says they're discussing what has happened, what their last few days has been like. They haven't seen the resurrected Lord. They've just heard the tombs empty. And as they're walking, as they're wandering their way back, Jesus just happens to join them. Wouldn't be uncommon? They're all walking down the road, so Jesus just saunters up. Scripture says in verse 16, but they did not recognize him. Now, a lot of times, people are looking for a reason for this. You know, we want to talk about the brutality of crucifixion, but it's not necessary. See, the same gospel writer, Luke, he wrote earlier in Luke 9, 45, in uh, in 9.45 he said, But they did not understand this saying because it was concealed from them so they might not perceive it and they were afraid to ask him anything about this saying. It also says in Luke 18.34 the same thing occurred. Uh, they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. <clears throat> the structure of the sentence here is what is called the divine passive. I don't want to bore you. It means God made it so they couldn't see. God made it so they didn't see. You guys have ever been looking for something and you didn't see it? (laughs) Getting more and more frantic, throwing things all over the place, and then all of a sudden, there it was. was right there in the middle of the floor all along. You just didn't see it. Now, I'm not saying that was God, but in this case, it was God. We have a divine passive. So in the divine passive, it's, it's a denial of them seeing who Jesus is so that Jesus can explain to these two guys walking on the way to, to Emmaus who are confused and disappointed so he can explain to them why it is that the Christ had to die. So God closes their eyes. <clears throat> Does that mean Jesus looks doesn't look different? I don't know. I haven't seen him. But when I do, I look forward to that day more than pretty much any other when I get to look into his eyes. But what we know about these two guys is they're sad. Everything in their life is upside down. So Jesus says to them in verse 17, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? What are you talking about? And why you look so sad? Their faces are downcast. Everything they thought was up is now down. Everything that they were pretty sure was down is now up. Everything they were sure about a week earlier, they were completely unsure about now. Have you ever been there? So the Lord enters into their conversation as they go, and it says, so one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened in these days? It's it's kind of an interesting question because in a while, the same writer, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, is also going to write Luke Part 2, or the Book of Acts. And in the Book of Acts, Paul's going to stand before Agrippa the king several years later, and he's going to say to Agrippa, Agrippa, you know about the Christ. None of these things were done in a corner. Everybody knows about the events that took place. So Cleopas is is asking in the same way, how, how can you not know what's going on? So he's going to describe it. He's going to say the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was, sometimes I just hate the past tense. Sometimes the past tense is awesome, right? When we think about who we were once. Sometimes the past tense is just sad. The people who were with us once, maybe. But here they're saying, Jesus, he was a prophet who was mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. It's interesting to me because they were quick to account him as a prophet. And that's important because that's something that Moses told them. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, we won't go look there, but in Deuteronomy 18, Moses said, there will come another prophet like me. And you have to listen to him and do everything that he says. And if you don't do everything that he says, you will be held accountable. It's like Moses saying, "There will come a prophet like me upon upon whom everything in life is going to hinge on the words he says." And they understood that. We had hoped he was a prophet. He did amazing things. He did mighty things. But now he's gone. He's not here anymore. We thought he was the Redeemer. In Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, it says, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and all the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. And that was true until Jesus. And just so you wouldn't miss it, God gave the children of Israel 400 years of prophetic silence. No prophet on the scene. At the, the end of the prophets, they did talk about the events that would take place, during the 400 years leading up unto the birth of Christ, Daniel told us that the Christ would come during the fourth empire, the empire of Rome. When, when was Jesus born? There was the Caesar in charge, wasn't there? So that's that fourth kingdom, right? Just as Daniel had foretold, Messiah would come during that kingdom. All of these things the prophets had laid out But then God gave 400 years, no prophets, no no human prophets walking among the people, telling them, here's what God wants, here's what God wants, here's what God wants. Until John the Baptist showed up. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then they had a prophet before them who was doing the same things Moses did mighty works. In fact, for the first time ever, the Bible teaches throughout the Old Testament that if you are clean and you touch something that is unclean, what happens to you? You become unclean unless you're Jesus. You remember the leper comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Do you remember what Jesus did? He could have just said, okay, you're clean. But that's not what he did. What did he do? He touched him. Why? Because he wants everyone to know, I'm not like you. When you touch the unclean, you become unclean. When I touch the unclean, they become clean. He is the Holy One of Israel. The one scriptures had foretold about. But the problem is they recognize him as the prophet. They recognize him as the one that Moses had talked about. They had an idea of what he was going to do, how he was going to accomplish God's purpose. But what they didn't understand, the reason why it's important that we connect Jesus Christ with the prophets, why is that important? Because it's significant that he fulfilled the destiny of the prophet. Do you remember the destiny of the prophet? How do the prophets end? Will they end rejected. Do the people listen? No. Do they turn? No. And then the prophets are put to death. They suffer rejection, suffering, and death. That's a prophetic pattern. So the reason why Moses says there'll be a prophet like me, did Moses suffer that way? For sure he did. For all the cries and complaints of the people? Yeah, absolutely. Prophet after prophet after prophet. So when Jesus would stand before his disciples and he would say, hey, look, I'm gonna be taken into the hands of sinful men. They're going to beat me. They're gonna crucify me. They're gonna bury me. And on the third day, what did he say he would do? I will rise again that was that was the <clears throat> the pattern the prophetic pattern the destiny of the prophets laid out but they didn't understand that so they say he he was a prophet and we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel but if you go back and you think what did the, the last prophet according to the bible last prophet was John the Baptist so John the, Baptist, the Lord's, the, John the Baptist had a message. What did he say? The Lamb of God who will do what? Take away the sin of the world. John would write in 1 John chapter 2 that he became the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. <clears throat> that he was to become the sin sacrifice. What is necessary of a sacrifice? How does a lamb take away sin except it? eyes but it was hidden from their eyes they couldn't connect the dots <clears throat> and even now they can't connect the dots that's why they find themselves in a state of depression and confusion and disappointment because they can't connect the dots why are we ever in a state of disappointment or confusion? in our lives, when we look at the circumstances that we are enduring just in our own lives because we can't connect the dots. But we know one who can. His name is Jesus. Cleopas goes on in verse 22. He says, moreover, some of the women of our company, they amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So that brings us to these two fellas, walking seven miles down to Emmaus, going to have Resurrection Day dinner. They just didn't know it was Resurrection Day yet. But they will. So Scripture says in verse 25, So he said to them, this is now Jesus speaking, O foolish ones and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? One of the beautiful things we we can read about in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, we get Daniel sees a vision of the ancient of days. And I believe that the vision that Daniel sees of the ancient of days is on the day when Christ ascends to the Father. And as he's looking at this Ancient of Days, it says he saw the Ancient of Days and he describes the Ancient of Days. And then he says, one like the Son of Man came up before the Ancient of Days and he gave him his throne. And the Psalms would declare that the Lord is saying to my Lord, sit here until I make your enemies your footstool sit here. Who does God share his throne with? I would say nobody. You don't share with nobody. But Jesus is God. So he takes the throne of the Father and he sits on that throne. He is entering into the glory that he had with the Father before the world began. There will be another glorious day when he returns. When his feet touch the ground when the nation of israel looks upon him whom they have pierced and they mourn as one mourns for an only son when the nation of israel puts their faith in trust corporately in her messiah when he returns with all his saints and at one puts down wickedness forever and we enter into the glorious kingdom of our great god and savior jesus christ that will be a glorious day so he's laying out for them he wants them to understand the things that the scripture talks about how the christ was always supposed to suffer and die that jesus would give himself all the way back in genesis 22 in genesis 22 abraham had a son a son by his wife, Sarah, a son whom he loved. And the Lord came to Abraham one day and he said to him, Abraham, take your son, your only son, to the mount that I will show you and there I want you to offer him as a burnt offering to me. Take your son and offer him to me. The Bible says from that moment, Abraham reckoned his son dead. And he trusted that God would bring him to life again. So Abraham takes his son. he says to his wife, me and the lad are going to go worship. And we will return. And he takes off. The Lord brings him to a mount, Mount Moriah. <clears throat> mount Moriah, the, the peak of which is going to be the the temple. That it's going to be chopped down and flattened out, and the temple mount will be put there. And the place from which they gather the rocks to flatten the temple mount is going to be called a place or going to be a place called Golgotha. Because as they're tearing out all the rock of the quarry takes on the the feature of a skull. And of course they would call the quarry the skull because if you were going to stone somebody, where would you take them? You'd take them to the quarry. There's lots of rocks there. Well, I know in Israel there's lots of rocks everywhere. But on Mount Moriah, so Abraham goes to Mount Moriah to the place that God shows him. His son, the, the word used for his son, his son could be as old as 30. There's no way the old man's going to wrestle a 30 year old on the altar. How does his son get on the altar? He puts himself there. Why? Because he trusts his father. He looks at his dad and he says, Dad, I have the wood and the fire, but where's, where's the lamb? And Abraham prophesies, and he says, Yahweh Yireh, the Lord will provide himself the lamb. Just listen to what he said. The Lord will provide himself the lamb. Now, for generations, maybe the people thought that God would just give them a lamb like he gave To Abraham, the Bible says he lifted up his knife to to take his son's life and an angel came and stopped him. And there in the thicket was a ram and he brought the ram over and he offered it as an offering before the Lord. So the Lord provided a, a sacrifice. But what scripture is indicating is that God is going to become the sacrifice. Genesis, what's the first book in the Bible? So that's pretty early, right? Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 3. Is that earlier? <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3, the scripture laid out for us that the fall of man, the proto-evangelicum, the first mention of the gospel, the Lord looks down and he, he makes this declaration to Adam and Eve and Satan is there. He says that he's going to put enmity between the seed of the serpent, the devil, and the seed of the woman. And the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, and the head of the serpent would bruise his heel. Proto-evangelicum, when does a woman have a seed? She don't ever have a seed. I know I didn't do good in school. <clears throat> but the woman doesn't have a seed. A man has a seed. The woman has an egg. That's how that works. I know you weren't expecting biology lesson in church today. That's as deep as a biology lesson is going to go. <clears throat> Nowadays, that confuses a lot of people. The Bible says that <clears throat> the seed, singular... Seed, one seed, there was one virgin who conceived and bore a son who crushed the head of the serpent at the cross where death was defeated and God talked to us about it at the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. That's pretty early, right? Considering two is creation so i can't get earlier than that we weren't here so jesus is looking at them and he says you have to, don't you understand that the christ was always supposed to suffer that the christ was always going to die that the scripture lays this very thing out to them but listen jesus had said something in luke chapter 16 verse 31 he had said to them if they will not hear moses and the prophets neither will they be convinced even if someone was to rise from the dead and john he says the same thing if you won't hear moses moses spoke of me that's what jesus declared If you believe Moses, you would believe me, but you don't believe Moses. You don't believe the things that the scripture have talked about. Failure to understand, to be able to see, to connect all the dots. This is what they were struggling with. And that failure to connect the dots almost always comes from a failure to embrace God anyways. And that's hard to do. Because we tend to think of ourselves as reasoning creatures. And so if I have a reason to, I'll cling to you. But if I don't have a reason to, I'll run from you. And therein lies the problem of humankind. We want to run from the one who is the one who will save us. Because we think we don't have a reason or we can't reason it out. We can't connect the dots. Does that mean the dots aren't there? No. It doesn't work that way. In philosophy, my professor didn't care whether I could connect the dots. If I couldn't connect the dots, my answers were still wrong. Isn't that crazy? How could they hold me accountable for wrong answers? Well... Because my lack of ability to reason did not mean the answers weren't there. The answers are there. This is what Jesus is doing with them. He's laying out those answers. Look what it says in verse 27. And beginning with Moses, that's what we just talked about, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures. The things concerning himself. I love when the Bible talks about this because this is God the Word giving commentary on God the Word. And I've spent a lot of money on commentaries. My my wife, my wife said the last time I said how much I've spent on commentaries. I'm not going to tell her the real number. See now, she don't want the real number. I said I spent. What did I say? Two thousand. I don't want to confess to something I didn't already confess to. You're going to say whatever. So so, so I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a theology nerd. I want to understand things. And so I, I want to buy the books that will get me into the understanding. And those books don't come cheap, okay? I can buy McGee. I can get McGee all day long, everywhere. But I wanted something a little deeper. You guys wouldn't like the books I read. You would look at them and go, this is dumb. Just give me somebody who just tells me what it means. Okay, I want somebody to tell me how they got there. I want to understand all the crazy, dumb nuances of the sentence. Okay, I don't want to dwell on that too long. But listen, I spent a lot of money on commentaries. And I would way rather have the commentary that Jesus Christ gives than any commentary I got. Because he is God the Word, giving commentary on the Word of God. That's pretty amazing. So this lesson at Emmaus, I would buy right now. I'll pay whatever price that I be able to get the recording of Jesus, beginning with Moses. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. So beginning with Moses, first five books of the Old Testament, and all the way through the prophets. That's the last books. He explained everything that was about the Christ and what he was come to do. What an incredible Bible study that must have been. What an incredible opportunity to comprehend and understand all the scriptures. He, I would love to hear Jesus go through Isaiah 53. It's funny because I've been to Israel. I've had to, the the. It's not a curse. What is it? It's a blessing, to go to Israel a lot of times. And in all the times I've been to Israel, one of my favorite times we're at the we're at the the Wailing Wall. They don't like to call it that. But, anyways, we're there. You guys know what I mean when I say that, right? And so we're at that place, and the rabbis have all their students out. And so we're going up to the wall to pray. It's just cool to be there. And, and so we're, we go up to the wall and pray. And, and um, anyways, a, a young a Jew from New York, I bump into a Jew from New York who's studying with a rabbi in the rabbinical tunnels underneath the, the city of Jerusalem. And he's sitting out, and he just starts talking to me. So I'm start talking to him. Hey, it was awesome. We're, we're start talking, and he's asking what we're doing there and why we come. And, and so we we were discussing what we were doing there. And somehow we got to talking about Isaiah 53. And I says, how, how can you guys not see Jesus in Isaiah 53? And he said, Well, because Isaiah 53 is about the nation of Israel. And I scratched my head and I said, How? Is it about the nation of Israel? Personal pronouns are used in there. You know, I mean, I get we sometimes call a boat to her or not our car or or motorcycle or something. We'll have terms that we'll use like that. But it's a little weird in scripture to see Isaiah 53 as being a description of uh, of the nation of Israel. And so he's explaining it to me. And and so I start we start looking at it. We go to Isaiah 53. I'm going to go there right now. So you guys won't get to see it because it's not on the thing. So, so we go to Isaiah 53, and so we start working our way through it. Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In the prophets, that's a picture of God saving people, the arm of the Lord. That's how you save someone. You reach out with your arm, and you pull them in. For he grew up before him like a young plant. But this this doesn't sound like a, a nation to me. And like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we would look at him. And no beauty that you would desire him. Just look like everybody else. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. He was hated. And we did not esteem him. We did not value him. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we saw him as one stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. And upon him was the chastisement that will bring us peace. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter... Like a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of the people? They made his grave with the wicked, That means he died with wicked men. What was on both sides of him? Huh. But with a rich man at his death, whose tomb was he buried in? Was that a rich guy? Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit, no lies in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquity, their sin. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. There's not a chapter that describes more of what Jesus did for us. So while I was talking to this young guy from New York there at the, at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, the big rabbi come over. Well, he's not big. He's littler. But he has a longer beard. The longer the beard, the more intelligent you must be. <clears throat> yeah, Eric's happy right now because I think his beard's longer than mine. So this guy, this old rabbi comes over, big, old, crazy, long beard. And he looks at that guy from, and we're having a great discussion, right? Talking about reasoning together through the scriptures. And the rabbi told him, get back to your studies. I assume that's what he said, because that's what he did. Because it was all in Hebrew, and I don't know what Hebrew. I don't know it enough. I certainly can't speak it with him. And so he disappeared, and then the rabbi wanted to talk. So I actually was kind of excited. Awesome. I get to talk to a rabbi. When's that ever happened? And as soon as I said I wanted to talk about Isaiah 53, he said, I don't have time. And he went away. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he knew what I was going to say, and I don't think he was afraid of me. He just didn't want to, in his view, waste his time. Jesus is describing with these guys on the road to Emmaus, all the things that the scripture said concerning himself. You remember when he was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, he told them, you search the scriptures daily looking for them to give you life. And what did he say to them? It's these scriptures that you search daily that speak of me. Pointing them to the word, Well, the scripture goes on in verse 28 says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. And Jesus, he acted as if he was going to continue going further, but they urged him saying, stay with us. It's almost evening. And the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table, he took the bread. Three days earlier, In the evening, Jesus, in the course of the Passover meal, stopped at the point in the Passover where they would take the napkin. The napkin is the place where they hold the unity. The unity is where you have three pieces of matzah. And those three pieces of matzah, part of the tradition of the meal, is you take the middle piece out and you break it. And you use half of it right then to, to, take, to partake together as part of the meal. And half of it you wrap in a napkin and someone goes and hides it for a child to find later. It's called the afikomen. And Jewish rabbis had argued forever what those three matzahs represent. Some would say it represents the word of God. Some would say it represents the patriarchs. Right? But nobody could understand why you broke one. Until at that meal, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is me. So in the unity, you have the representation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And which one was broken for you? The middle one is taken out and broken. So Jesus broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they partook of that part of the officomen. Then the next cup, that's the cup of redemption. And he took the cup of redemption, the redeemer, the the concept that this is the cup that represents us being redeemed. Redeemed in, in Egypt, being set free from bondage. And Jesus took that cup and he said, This cup, this cup represents my blood shed for the remission of your sin, for your redemption. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus stopped the meal. meal's not done. There's more. There's another cup. And there's another opportunity to to partake of the bread. But he stops the meal. Says, we got to go. And he gathers up his disciples on that last night. Walks to a garden called the Garden of Gatshmoné. Gethsemane. He asked them to stay awake and pray for them. And when they're leaving, Jesus said, after the cup, he said, listen, I won't finish this meal till I finish it with you in my kingdom. So Passover didn't get finished for them. They, they ate and they partook in the majority, but that point where you come to the cup of praise... Do you know what every good Jewish person does before they walk through the gates of Jerusalem? They stop, and they have a cup of praise and a piece of bread. You and I would call it communion as believers. And they take of the bread and they drink of that cup before they go into the city of Jerusalem. It's a tradition. One day, that tradition will be upheld with the Messiah in his kingdom. Oh, believers, we call it this, the marriage supper of the Lamb. You heard of that? The marriage supper of the Lamb, the seven days feast. So Jesus is sitting there. He had done that just three days earlier. Would that stick in your mind, wouldn't it? If you spent your whole life wondering what this was all about, what is this tradition we do all about? And then some guy... Told you what it was three days earlier, and you were blown away like, man, that's so revealing that this is what that has been all about. Are you going to remember it three days later? So the Bible says, so at the table, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, and their eyes were open. Oh, context it's jesus and they recognized him and then he was gone now they're seven miles away from everybody they want to tell (laughs) i'm gonna tell you this the next seven miles was faster than the first seven (laughs) they're in a rush they said to each other did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road when he opened the scriptures And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. I don't think they finished eating. I think they're like, no, we got to get back. So they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11. They went to the upper room where the 11 were gathered together. And they said, he is risen. And they responded, he is risen indeed. That's where that comes from. He is risen risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. So everybody's saying the same thing as they walk in. He's risen, They told, and they told what had happened on the road and how he had made, been known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace, shalom. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. I give you peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, they were startled, just like you and I would be, right? Uh, We all talk about the possibility that the Lord could just appear, but when he does, we're going to freak out, just so you know. Just just settle that. You're not just going to look at them, you know, and remain cool, hands in the pockets. Like, oh, hey, Jesus, I I figured you were. We're going to do just what they did. We are going to freak out. They were startled and frightened, and they thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? I still ask myself that question today. Why are you troubled, and why did doubts arise in your heart? Was God going to take care of the end of the story? But I still worry. Do you? I still get concerned, but the question that Jesus asked is still important. So what does he do to settle down their hearts? Look what he says. Look at my hands and feet. Look at me, touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones you see that I have. And then when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, that means they could not believe what was going on. Their minds are blown. They're... they're tripping out that just a minute ago it was the worst day of their life or the second or third worst day and now they're blown away and marveling here he is Jesus looks at him and says hey you guys got anything to eat? (laughs) Let's sit down and have some fish so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them and then he gave this exhortation this is what are we supposed to do with the information what are we supposed to do with the acknowledgement that jesus christ is risen from the dead what do we do first we need to understand the scriptures Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the scripture. You know, there's a psalm that talks like that. It says this, Lord, open my eyes that I might see wonderful treasure in your word. That's the way the Word of God is still open today. You can come to the Word of God with an intellectual mind and you can learn intellectual things. But if you want to see Jesus, you need Him. The Bible is spiritually discerned. You need to have a life surrendered to Christ. Scripture says He opened their mind, He opened their hearts, and He opened the door. He opened their mind here in Luke 24, 45 to understand the scriptures. In Acts 16, 14, it says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia in the city of Thyatira, a of purple, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul had said. And Revelation 3, 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in to him and sup with him. If we want to understand the scripture, the Lord needs to open our mind, open our heart, and we need to open the door. We have to understand the scripture if we know what to do with the resurrection. The second thing we need to do is preach the good news. That word preach is not stand in front of people for an hour and see how many you can put to sleep. That's my job. Trust me, you don't want it. <laughs> this word preach is a word herald. It means to tell people the good news. Share the gospel. <clears throat> so he said to him in verse 46, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins be proclaimed in his name, To all people. To every nation. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. You want a short statement of the gospel. There you go. He said these words to them. That the Christ must suffer. That he would die and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance of sins our our repentance for the forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are his witnesses. That is the call. First, we understand the scriptures. Then we tell people, we preach the good news that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. You want another great place for a... A short statement on the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, like the first 11 verses. Perfect. Run with that. The proclamation, the heralding, right? Like a knight's tale. You remember the herald in the knight's tale? None of you guys saw that movie, did you? Huh? My wife has like three copies of it. I'm not sure what you need three copies of it for. Does anybody have DVDs and no DVD player at your house? How many VHS with no VHS players? How many do we have? 10,000? We should open a store. We're going to do a rental. If you want to rent VHS or DVDs, come to us. Why would you do that? I don't know. You can watch it all on your phone and you don't need any of that stuff anymore. Once upon a time. And in that show, right, in that movie, there was a herald. That's what, the, when the Bible says preach, that's what it means. What did the herald do? You know, he came out with flowery speech about who the next knight was that was going was gonna to do the next whatever. What do they call that stuff? Joust. Well, that's what a believer is supposed to do. Only we're not announcing the next jouster. We're announcing the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ has come He died for our sin. We were separated from God by our sin, but He died for me. He became my sin sacrifice that I might become the righteousness of God. He rose on the third day. He's ascended to the Father and He sits at the right hand of the Father until that day when He shall return. And until that time, He calls us to command every man everywhere to repent and believe. Put your trust in. In Jesus Christ. So first we understand the scriptures, then we preach the good news. Last, we rely on his power to do it all. It's not you and me that can do it. We don't turn it up inside of us. It is the gift of his spirit. Listen to what he says in verse forty-six. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ would suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, repentance and forgiveness of sins be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, for you are these witnesses. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city, clothed with power from on high. He's sending the Holy Spirit. We see that on the day of Pentecost, right? The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends and the church is birthed. And then Jesus ascends to the Father. In verse 50 it says, So he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried to heaven. You want to know what that was like? Daniel chapter 7. Take a look at it. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Their lives are transformed They will not ever be the same again. That's the beauty of Resurrection Day. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of of your word, what your word has declared, is declaring to us. Lord, we pray, God, that you would indeed open our eyes, that we would have understanding of your word. Teach us, God, to herald the good news to every nation, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching the things that Jesus taught us, and knowing that you are with us even into the end of the age. Lord, may we, as we move forward, move forward under the power of your spirit. In this place this morning, Lord, if there are those here today that do not know you, they have no relationship with you, they, they have not entered into the new life that can be found in you. And God, I pray that as we close in worship and as elders are placed around the sanctuary and are available to pray that you would provoke them to come. Come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Lord, I pray, God, that your Spirit would move in this place, that men would be drawn to you. Lord, your Word declares that if you are lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. So, God, we come together in this place to lift you up, to elevate you before all men, to proclaim you as the King of kings, And Lord of lords, and we ask, Lord, that you would draw men unto yourself. We give you the praise and the glory for this resurrection day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.